Hello, this is Andre Hunter, and welcome to the Marvelous Podcast. So, today's guest delves in the art of appropriating techniques like introspection and the proponents of optimistic affirmations, and yet she helps others feel more inclined to be more effective in uncloaking some of the more repressive feelings about insecurities. I bring to you Caitlin, aka The Lovely Universe. How are you, Caitlin? Hi. Well, I'm doing good. Thank you. I appreciate your patience. In addition to my last guest that dealt with my technical difficulties, I'm trying to learn Zoom. It is quite an uphill journey. In addition to Skype, though my computer could just be, you know, quite ineffective. <laughs> but let's get to it. So doing a little bit of research on your page, in addition to your podcasts, you had mentioned that your mother had departed you at the age of three months. And I'm sure that's rather terrible. Yet in the wake of even the event that would seem rather terrible, how do you feel about people who are reasonably, let's just say, don't have a relationship with their own mother, given experiences like abuse, molestation? station or severe emotional neglect that have been introduced underneath the guidance of mom and her years of complex post-traumatic stress is it better to grow up with a mom or point maybe the emotion elsewhere i honestly don't know Mm -hmm. if she would have stayed in my life if i would be any different Mm -hmm. i assume i would be a much different person but i really wouldn't change anything that happened because i really do believe that every experience has shaped me into who i am today Mm -hmm. and Although the experiences that I've been through were really painful, they helped me find a purpose in it. You know, that's always a complex thing to discuss in addition to experiences I've got with my mother. Some people always question me, even though our relationship is bridging rather slowly, even though it's at a laggard pace, we still are connecting. Some can say that you don't ever seem to really be appreciative of your mother and she does a lot for you. But I do think sometimes they can get confused rather with traditional outsets about what a mother's supposed to do, or let's just say being a parent. I do think that's more of a socio-cultural construct. Children used to be treated rather differently back in the day, let's just say centuries ago. I mean, I do think we have slightly kind of contorted versions of what parents are supposed to do or at least advocate for our well-being and sometimes you know it's not always about a parent purchasing clothing for you or perhaps you know putting food on the table i do think it's a lot more interoceptive and deals with a great deal of more emotional attachments rather than just what people would assume society places on that particular administrative role i'm a little bit more technical with it only because that i haven't always had great relationship with my mother but i am trying to bridge it now but i'm still being incredibly rationalistic with it because i've grown to be incredibly not just numb uh, but the framework for my type of love would incur a great deal of more intimate moments. So in due time, maybe I could actually claim to say that I do have quite a close relationship with my mother. And as of right now, it is, I guess you could say, subpar. But it's getting better. So, But you know, some would say, like I said, if you was like me, adopted or whatever, even like yourself, shouldn't you be appreciative of the mother that you have? Even if she wasn't the best mother, you've got a mother. Shouldn't you be happy? Well, yeah, her? I do appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that she's alive and I know who she is and that she has been at least somewhat in my life in any way shape or form i going back to your point about maybe it would have been better if she wasn't there because every experience has been really painful um i i do still appreciate the fact that i know who who she is and that she was there but um i i think that for me to be able to have a relationship with her in any shape or form Mm -hmm. has been the turning point was when i realized that i needed to just forgive her and put the past in the past Mm -hmm. and stop holding on to any grudges i had and honestly just forgive her and send her love Mm -hmm. and to not expect anything else because i already know what i'm gonna get so by so I'm, I'm not expecting anything else. I believe I'm probably halfway with you. There was at a point in time in my life, even with my father, at one point, like you, I had to kind of accept and say, okay, well, they did grow up in a different side, guys. And the generation back then, including a great deal of, let's just say, identity politics. Our mothers, maybe, let's just say, our grandparents and mothers lived at a time where, let's just say, knowledge was heavily constrained. So the aspect of being a parent definitely wasn't always warranted in the best possible notion of what it meant to really bond with your child. And I think they probably assumed that using a more utilitarian approach and just being rather disciplined or being heavy-handed what their instructive life goals made it apparent for them to be better parents but as we know of today it's definitely a lot more than just being instructive so uh, but that's more of a generational i think dichotomy as well but you know we're also learning you know we, we don't have any children so <laughs> when we get to that point hopefully uh, we'll face those fears in due time uh when we buy our own children so are you thinking about probably having children in uh the next let's just say decade i know everybody's got a yeah, different time definitely. frame i'd love to have a child in the next 10 years 
whenever yeah. that is. Do you think she or he will possibly, because, you know, a lot of us always try to invoke some level of morality that we try to implant in our seeds. Would you want your child to be like you or perhaps maybe uh, an offspring that kind of uh, have smaller derivatives of your characteristics? I would want them to be whoever they are. Mm-hmm. And I obviously am not a parent right now, mm-hmm. but I have read and studied many gurus and personal development and anything in those categories. And one of the things that I've come across is someone had said that to be a good parent is to be a good example because children follow examples and not what they're told. So basically the saying goes that the, the better example you set, the less parenting you have to do. And I think that's a really good example. Um, when I was a child, my dad had, his, well, he still has his own business. And I just always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur like him and have my own business and be self-made. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, things like that can definitely rub off onto your child. And by setting a good example, you could be setting them up for success. But I would want my child to be, obviously, I'd want them to be successful in whatever way that means to them. I, ultimately, I would just want my child to be happy by being who they are. Yeah, there was an experiment. I believe his name is Albert Bandara. He was like a psychologist and there was this, I think called the Bobo Doll experiment where it deals with children who would watch, I believe, grown adults become enraged and attack the doll and then eventually over time they viewed it and then they seemed to kind of knock it them itself and it showed that based on empirical data that children do kind of mimic what they see at a young age and they don't know always the type of conditioning they're being prompt for. So even if they're attacking the doll, given, you know, grown adults are attacking the doll, they don't necessarily know why. You know, it's Sometimes when I think about people that I'm related to and the way they treat their children, even if the child were to say things like you'll be in road or you'll be disrespectful at the age of six or seven, do they even know what those words mean? Uh, they may hear the words, they may hear the phonemes, they may not understand the morphology of it. And sometimes I get curious about why don't grown adults try to discern between what to say properly amongst the child opposed to let the child say what they feel is discernible for their own value. Because the child itself don't really know what rude means. And I think they probably assume that if they're mimicking some level of disobedience and perhaps they see that if that is a term enunciated from the mother then I suppose the same effect or at least the same affect to the behavior is going to be attributed to that particular term and I think that becomes very confused over time and that's why I think a lot of grown adults that I've spoken with may not always appropriate a great deal of their own emotional output effectively because they try to I suppose discuss and describe what they feel in ways they've mimicked over time and haven't really discerned between what's actually the value of what they're saying and doing opposed to what they were shown I mean, coming firsthand, I can share with you that no one ever taught me how to be a woman. Mm -hmm. So when you're not taught how to be a certain way, you have to learn it for yourself through trial and error. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having an absence of a parental figure in your life can be really just extremely difficult. But honestly, it's in the pain that helps you grow a lot so much. I can definitely attest to that in a lot of ways. Um, I wouldn't want to use the term pain all the time. Uh, it's rather pejorative, but pain itself is a very ubiquitous term, um, but I'm sure it represents all themes of malevolence slash neglect. Pain is a hefty word, but I understand definitely what you mean regarding that particular assertion. We're going to probably delve into something a bit more deeper, a bit more darker, then again, a bit more prospering toward the end uh, for you. So I hope you're prepared, but if you're not, I'm going to attack you anyway. No. <laughs> Um, now, learning more about your past and your, I would say, either progressing years or adolescent years, uh, maybe a little bit above, perhaps give you your historic resume dealing with Xanax. I mean, you know that I suppose is a benzodiazepine and it helps with like, you know, value, tranquilizers, relax. So when it comes to anxieties such as troubling events in your life, how did you get introduced into that particular life? Well, I lived in Redondo Beach, which was, I guess, sort of a bigger city in Los Angeles where there's a bunch of rich people and drug dealers selling drugs to kids. So I I didn't really have the best influences around me growing up. And 
um, I just kind of started getting into that from, I think, what was around me, what I thought was cool, and sort of going through that rebellious stage in my life. And as we all do when we're teens, I didn't necessarily travel down that path, though I became a bit more isolated, <laughs> which I wouldn't say was rather a bit more effective or a bit more prospering in the mind state of teen at the time. But you know, we have our own outlets, though I've never taken any recreational drugs per se. Alcohol has been the only thing I'd rather ever <laughs> tamper with. I, I know I'm rather, quote unquote, a clean slate kind of guy, but I suppose, you know, when it comes to drugs, it's one of those things where, well, I had a best friend that used to, I suppose, quote unquote, hustle and I suppose a bit of a confederate for some kind of kingpin in dealing with marijuana distribution. And though I think at a particular time he felt desperate because he needed money and to help his parents. And I'm not really sure what mental mind state he was in, but eventually I think he opted out of it probably a month or two later, I think. In your past, in dealing with that, uh, when you did depart from that lifestyle, outside of feeling anxiety or trying to fit in, conversely, some have initiated DMT or other forms of hallucinogens that actually aid those who, you know, tamper with the meditative mind state and would say that typically when it comes to taking certain drugs, I guess it expresses different sides of a person. Would you say that, is there anything positive that you came out of in dealing with that outside of your experiences that you can say that made you, I wouldn't suspect a better person, but let's just say more mentally aware? Oh, more a bit more cognitively aware and who you are well i definitely attribute my spiritual awakening mm -hmm. and awakening to my life purpose from drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol because those substances are what really led me down a negative path mm -hmm. that ultimately was very painful mm -hmm. and so there was definitely positives um from that i, I learned who i don't want to be I learned that one thing about Xanax when you do a lot of Xanax or too much is that you will have a very distorted memory. You won't you honestly probably remember anything from the, that whole night. Mm. And so I realized when I woke up one day that I, when I realized I didn't remember like the last six months of my life, or I don't even remember how long, but you know, something like that, I realized that I want to remember my life. I want my life to be something that I can remember and cherish. So, and I also realize, you know, on, on Xanax, mm -hmm. imagine you're like, it, it's a little bit different, but there's, imagine if you're like super drunk and you just have that like fake confidence and you get into, um, let's just say, intimate situations easier mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It helps me understand that I have better more self-worth um than to you know do random hookups and stuff like that mm -hmm. helps me to realize I guess my my value and I, I just had to go through like this period of like losing myself to find myself when it comes to benzodiazepines like Xanax, I know a little bit about neuroscience. I've taken a, a minor course, but then I've done my research in general about a lot of things. And I know it does act on the GABA receptors and those deal with, you know, relaxation and calming people down. And I think, like you said before, when you're losing a great deal of its natural ability in the human body for itself to calm down, you are tampering with your mental health. And some would say that even research have based that even over time, it could cause long-term effects in dealing with a great deal of your memory and other forms of cognitive capacities. So I'm I'm glad that you spoke on that. That's something people can really take from. Um, but I agree. I've heard when it comes to engaging in some level of prurient nature, you know, uh, like intercourse or whatever, it does kind of help the situation a lot better. So I've had the beckoning of drugs and alcohol be elicited to me at one particular time. But, you know, that's a different topic. I'm not really sure if you're willing to dive into that. That is an experience that uh, I'm sure you'll never forget and you grew from, which is a good thing, you know. And I know a lot of people always try to apply some level of kind of, as you would state, not not fake confidence, but I would just say that it's probably glossing over a great deal of optimism that I think would be valid if people would take from their experiences what's necessary and not everything is bad. Because, you know, we now are in an age where we are starting to kind of realize technology could be utilized for medical purposes and even marijuana at one particular point in time was heavily reviled and discussed and now it's being utilized for medicinal purposes. So it took a great deal of open minds to see much more than perhaps, you know, the social stigma to come around it. I agree that nothing is inherently good or bad. It's just how you use it. Yeah. Like, for example, I, I like your examples about technology and marijuana, but another one that I could give is some people see money as the root of happiness and some people see money as the root of all evil. Mm. And 
it really just depends on how you use it. How do you view it? You know, I think sometimes someone having a panic attack could use a little bit of Xanax. Mm -hmm. It would help them calm down. But if someone is taking Xanax just to numb out their feelings on a daily basis, that is not the, a good use of Xanax. You know, someone who's smoking marijuana first thing when they wake up and not getting, not, you know, having any productivity in their life mm -hmm. is not the best way to use Xanax or marijuana. But, you know, so there's definitely ways to use things that is in moderation and correct. And, you know, correct is particular to the person. So, you, yeah, you definitely go on a contextualized growing deal of the efficacy of the drug. Even people who always discuss marijuana as if it's supposed to be a panacea for everyone's mental illnesses. Oh, it calms you down. It relaxes you. Even with alcohol, I've never really been at a lounge and I've ever felt the necessary position to place myself in when it comes to making myself a bit more lucid. I can have a good time without engaging in a great deal of alcohol consumption. But I get it, you know, it does provide some level of inhibitory effects that deals with society. And sure, you start to feel very tingly. You start to feel the affect of what alcohol does. And when people touch you, you become probably a bit more sensually inclined, which is a good thing. And sure, that's probably 10% <laughs> of what you could probably acquire from it. Is it necessary each and every single time and go out? That's, you know, probably a different story. But like you said, it could be people who probably are going out and do not have any level of natural sober confidence to get in there and really engage a bit more promising with their character but like you said about money this is going to probably cause a great deal of heat but oh well money or degrees if you think about how paper is made it's made with cellulose tree fibers in addition to lead if you think about maybe a more materialistic point of view we are talking about dirty paper in our pockets that are basically valued by human intervention if humans extracted themselves from the earth, what would we do or what would animals or the natural world do with money? Nothing. Initially, you know, it was meant for a bartering system when it comes to exploiting or not exploiting each other for out of our services and goods. So if we are aware of that, regardless of how luxurious it may seem or feel, these are psychological constructs and very, I assume, pathogenic effects that deal with what we associate with a very valuable world that outside of or anthropomorphic mindset, it means nothing. It's just tree fibers constructed into octagonal, let's just say rectangle base objects. And we basically implement it in a way to assess not just bartering, but our own ethical values. And it's unfortunate that if we're not always going to attack a more reductionistic view of it, some people could get lost, I suppose. And a great deal of, you know, the universe when it comes to what we appropriate money's for. And sure, it helps us pay rent. It helps us. But what is rent? <laughs> How is that bestowed upon us? I'm sure no one wants to do anything for free. But what's for free? You mean you don't want to go call the police for someone who gets hit by a car unless you're getting paid? Well, no, that would be a nice gesture. But if the doctor or let's just say the paramedic won't take you to the hospital for free. Well, what's being cost? Gas? But what's gas? That's a natural resource. Then again, if we all assume it was valuable enough or pertinent enough to just display gas as something that was necessary for humans to utilize for the benefit of humanity, why would we put a price on human life? But then again, we have put prices on human life. This mm -hmm. topic has actually, mm -hmm. I feel like, been a great deal mm -hmm. of importance to me in my life mm -hmm. because the earth is free. The land is free. No one owns the land. No one owns the ocean. No one owns the air. No one owns the water. Like these are natural resources. And honestly, I think having to pay to live is absolutely just ridiculous. Yeah. I can't even put it into words. It just infuriates me. I think it makes a lot of people very depressed, very depressed. And I mean, I'm not even going to lie. Like sometimes I get very emotional about having to work to live it, it's just this that's how they keep control over us mm -hmm. i mean it would only take i suppose uh the recent homo sapiens to place legalized papers in your hands to place your foot on any soil and i suppose if your toes were to touch the soil of a different country quote unquote as we labeled it you can be put in jail and possibly raped and murdered all because you planted your foot 
on a different soil outside of your own yeah. or outside of, I don't know, 100 feet, 12 feet, 400 miles. Interesting <laughs> how we became quite medieval with that particular concept of illegal alien. But that's definitely no, it's, it's really <laughs> unfortunate that, you know, it, okay, so I like the point where you bring, that mm-hmm. you're getting to where we have people see each other as differences and stuff like that. I mean, the truth is, like, first there's I, you, you know, when you're a kid, everything's me, 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 I want, I this, I want, and then, you know, we we get um, a little more mature, then it's about you and your team, like, maybe you have, like, let's just say a favorite sports team, like, you and that team against some other team, and then after that, it's you and your community, like, maybe your country, your city, something like that. Um, and then after that, it's the world consciousness. And then after that, it's universal consciousness. And once we realize that we are all one, I mean, how, how can you hate each other? I mean, it would only take, I suppose, uh, the recent homo sapiens to place legalized papers in your hands to place your foot on any soil. And I suppose if your toes were to touch the soil of a different country, quote unquote, as we labeled it, you can be put in jail and possibly raped and murdered all because you planted your foot on a different soil outside of your own or outside of, I don't know, 100 feet, 12 feet, 400 miles. Interesting (laughs) how we became quite medieval with that particular concept of illegal aliens i I really hope so i really hope so um i mean i feel like as a light worker on planet earth we came here for a reason to to help raise the consciousness and i think as a coach that is my goal to help raise the planet the the consciousness of planet earth one person at a time but sometimes you know it does get a little disheartening to see what is really going on with people and things you know Like, for example, sex trafficking is a billion dollar industry or more, maybe. And it is these kinds of things and the people that are in control and the fact that people are so obnoxious and oblivious to it. And actually, yeah, that's a whole different story. Um, It's really unfortunate, but I, I really, I really honestly do believe that there's hope. I definitely agree, especially when you're younger. I don't want to keep bringing up psychologists and everything. I'm just, you know, quite dependent in psychologists and, and philosophy. But I know a little bit about, I suppose, I wouldn't say childhood upbringing. But yeah, when you're younger, you know, you're into, I guess they have different stages. Uh, it's been proposed when you're younger, especially around probably two years old. You want a very sensory motor stage where you're just encompassing a great deal of your senses. So you're just getting used to an environment. Like if you were to walk into some kind of parade, you're looking at the colors, the lights, anything that seems rather mentally exhilarating. That's usually what you are at the age of two. And then believe when you get to six or seven, you're on the pre-operational stage where you're dealing with, I suppose, certain symbols and understanding certain minor linguistic uh, interpretations of your uh, paternal figure. And then obviously, when you you get older, around 11 or 12, you start to have a bit more of, uh, I guess you could say, more mature conversational skills and you become a bit more acclimated to your own personality. And that's when I think we start to develop our own characteristic traits around that age then obviously when you get to your grown adult is when you become a bit more transcendent in your cognitive recourse on handling different aspects of life and dealing with anxiety or depression or love but you know people forget uh, a lot of that is shaped when it comes to I believe I would say from zero up to possibly six and that's why it's important to not just tell you know and even when you have children online holding money up to the air things like that and it's like I hope you guys know that your children do not know what they're doing with this money with these uh Porsche keys in their hand with this iPhone in their hand they're being given foreign objects created you know in a very utilitarian slash overly overtly technologically advanced device where they don't even know what they're pressing they don't know what they're touching you know and unfortunately when they get older a great deal of that becomes misguided and they start to kind of tamper with I suppose a very dark side of life and they don't know any better because the parents didn't realize these are things you got to teach them they don't know what money really means you can tell them oh it's for you to kind of survive what is survival breathing inhaling water food your body burning calories more calories out less calories in what is surviving if you want to really discuss the rudiment effects of survival but yeah i do think people should put more effort into utilizing and analyzing you know a great deal of the youth but yeah but as far as um when it comes to us having free resources i always thought about if wi-fi was going to be free in due time and i'm sure you know anywhere you go you've got free wi-fi but sure when you've got somebody like Comcast who is trying to 
monopolize on the actual Wi-Fi service in certain areas of AT&T. You would think, oh, I can go to Starbucks or I can go to some library. Well, why would it ever be something you could pay for if it's everywhere? Well, what's the cause? What's the actual determinant cause of it? Money. If someone, it, man, man or woman or human being, if a human being takes advantage of another human being in any way, you mm-hmm. know, mentally, physically, or emotionally, knowingly, they're, they're really just a piece of shit. It's in one way, it could be a sense of cultural relativism. I mean, one culture could have a different aspect of a different value, or let's just say the rubric they use for when it comes to what they should or shouldn't do is different to another. Some can say, well, if I'm a guy, shouldn't I be the one that basically bring home the money and you should stay home and cook? Or in other countries, why don't you wear this veil over your face? Don't display it. Don't display any form of skin. And if you do, you'll be killed or possibly raped. That is our particular law. As one of your past guests discussed, they had a very strange, I wouldn't say strange, but let's just say it was a health condition uh, that vacillated on the fence of emotional dysregulation. And I suppose it's either that or acute sense of bipolar disorder. And though research has shown in, in psychiatry is called pathoselective effects that deals with culture and how it's influenced uh, mental illnesses, how much would you suspect that the emotional deregulation your guest mentioned is more about a person's dichotomous thinking versus fantasy and reality, opposed to maybe a more genetic mutation in one's genes that contributes to the diagnosis? Because if they aren't always aware of what chromosomal attributions are, how can they possibly know what's emotionally dysfunctional about themselves opposed to something being genetic? Or do you think perhaps it's a placebo and they could be, I guess, traumatically influenced from a situation that they didn't recover from? Well, all of those sound like they could be factors. Mm -hmm. Definitely, like you had mentioned before, from the age zero to six is when you are programs on how you're going to see the world Mm -hmm. and from that time period in your life is when it really shapes you a lot into who you are and so uh, having events in your life that you may have been able to work through or if you haven't worked through yet will definitely impact you for the rest of your life but at a certain point when we reach adulthood we begin to we begin to come to a place where we actually have the choice to unlearn things that aren't serving us. Mm-hmm. So even if there was a traumatic event and these kinds of really horrific things do happen to people, you are able to work on it. You, you, you can stay in a victim place if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah, I'm actually going through a certain situation and a certain amount of people that I've met or at least have met prior years ago, I would say probably a decade. And I don't know if we're going to be talking anymore, but great little that, you know, basically is more so about victimhood. And I've made a decision to tap into a great little of my own potential in starting up this podcast in addition to, I suppose, inquisitions about just life. And within my community of those who play the identity politics game, unfortunately, they want me to abide by a great deal of their ethics and I've made a decision to not and like you stated I think because that's what they know uh, and that's what they're comfortable with and typically when it comes to explicating on you know your boundaries some people are more comfortable in a great deal of their own community so even if I were to pressure test their integrity they would tell me why what is this information you're reading is that not white supremacy is that not something that's going to basically inhibit you to kind of claim your stake in your racial uh, territory and for me I always believe that if they are willing to just remain within their 50 mile radius and they believe knowledge is only limited to that particular radius that's up to them um, and unfortunately a lot of people don't always get to quote-unquote leave and view the world and sometimes it can be quite scary and I guess you know it has cost you your past life if people in your personal life don't want to really grow with you witnessing that and it is unfortunate to me I'm still dealing with it I, I would say yeah. that it a good way to reframe that is it really actually isn't costing you it's it's more um what it okay it it is costing you um in the way of money and time Mm -hmm. and your emotional health but by losing some not even losing by creating space in your life from you and someone who's either just naive or toxic or just isn't serving you you're really doing yourself a favor. And I just learned this ideology recently mm-hmm. about how when you create space for yourself, you're actually being nice to yourself rather than having to be nice to the other person. 
And I thought, wow, that's so interesting to the, the idea of being nice to myself. So, you know, yeah. having to cut off some relationships in your life is honestly, it's just going to happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, some of them are kind of unfortunate, but not everyone's meant to stay for forever. Um, but yeah, it, there can be, there can definitely be positives. It's better to just cut someone off who isn't serving you rather than try to maintain a relationship that just holds you back. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to evolving, I do think that it doesn't necessarily always threaten. I think the identity they believe they have accomplished in themselves with, I think that they feel it's going to always be a sort of a tribal treachery in a sense where how could you, how could you leave our tribe? You're supposed to be the person I knew at 16. You're not supposed to grow. And if you're growing, you're supposed to grow in a practical way within the tribe. And I think when people don't realize is that, sure, it's one thing to, and that's why I'm having a lot of interesting or now it's become a bit more promising with my mother it's not as if we had any choice to come into the world or our genetics or perhaps you know our communities we were brought in and even if our communities were very questionable rabidology sure at one particular point in time whether it was 16 or up and we have enough i guess cognitive recourse to kind of deal with our situations it is up to us and sure some of us do get kind of bogged down in a morass of conformity but then again it's up for us to really make that decision and say okay well i'm I'm either going to just lay here and remain mentally stagnant or I'm going to obliterate the threshold of civility and incline my mental escape. And sure, I agree. You know, though I'm losing an old part of myself, I wouldn't say I'll miss it, but I suppose a part of me knew it was coming. So I think I've prepared myself to know that even if I'm sitting back reminiscing and having great times, you know, in my memory bank about certain things I used to laugh with this person about, I've still have got to be aware that, okay, you're growing apart from them. Embrace it, realize it, and it's a good thing. For you and sure maybe one day they'll grow and they'll contact you or maybe not because eventually i will be around people who are going to be of more caliber or of somebody who can relate and if that's not them anymore then either you can stay you know in a very molasses state or you can grow and growing is scary especially if people don't necessarily know what they're growing to and that's another thing um what do you think about that when it comes to those who i wouldn't say rather fearful of growth but sometimes because they get caught up into and this is what the social dilemma film discusses on a very wide level um that people get caught up in a lot of i wouldn't say analogously i'll just say that it deals with people who get caught up in a very mental sphere when it comes to a selection of videos let's just say emotionally they tap into and i think they get recommended a great deal of confirmation bias that kind of announce things they want to believe that's necessarily going to be beneficial for them and i think the more they click on those recommended videos within their head they're not really realizing how deep into the rabbit hole they're going and the more deeper they get uh the harder it is to dig themselves out and they wonder why they don't see growth in their own life but then again that just could be an inherent defect in our dna what do you thoughts about that well mm-hmm. a lot of people believe or at least want to believe that they have control over their life and while that's true to a certain extent possible through our thoughts our words and our actions the mm-hmm. truth is that we really don't have control over everything that happens in our mm-hmm. lives so a lot of people worry about stepping out of their comfort zone and have or have some kind of inner voice that's stopping them other that's worry fear anger who knows what it is someone could have something holding them back from wanting to or actually taking the action to step out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and that's totally normal it you know it happens to everybody but it's the people who actually take the step the leap out of their comfort zone are the people who grow because growth (laughs) growth is uncomfortable but it should be uncomfortable we're all going to suck at first it's and whatever we do it's embracing the fact that we're actually trying and you know it's it's okay to not know where you're going but it's important to know that you are passionate about this and that you're going to do it anyway. It's definitely important to realize when it comes to free will, that's a whole another lengthy discourse we have at another date. We are prone to a lot of cognitive biases. We've got to realize there's over probably 50, there's over probably 70 different cognitive biases, you know, the spotlight effect and uh, confirmation bias, fundamental attribution effect. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, humans are prone to kind of uh, recapitulating into our lives. So uh, we should never forget that. And this is a question I've had uh, that will tap into more of your theme. So I'm going to basically travel into Caitlin's world. If you were to, let's just say, fight fire with fire and dealing with the universe and its spiritual interpretation, 
interpretation. I don't know if you know what panpsychism is, but panpsychism is that each and every single entity has got some level of consciousness. And yet you've got people who are probably more wavering in my sense where we're more physicalists that believe that more material objects are or quintessential regarding to the observable world. So we believe that's pretty much it as far as the reality of what we see. What would be the point in basically probably dealing with spirituality in the terms of the universe if all of our psychological correlates remain dissimilar about arguments we have over let's just say religious doctrines if we ultimately are part of a larger expansion of something that only renders these concepts like religion as illusions for the grand scheme of our existence because if we continue let's just say to fight and have wars over certain doctrines that we have no real falsifiable evidence of what are we doing so mm -hmm. religions can be good in their own ways mm -hmm. it helps it, someone get to a certain it, it can definitely be helpful you know to help people get onto the right path and realize that there is a, high, a higher power out there it can help people submit to the circumstances in their life it, you know it really has helped a lot of people so religion can be a great thing but some of the things that they are preaching in religion i'm just gonna say are pretty absurd the fact that they have turned some some or I'd say, honestly, most religion has become a source of power in a lot of ways. And they use this power to scare people. And, you know, God, the, the way that they, they, a lot of religions can use their control and their power to scare people is a little frightening. I don't think that God would want people to live in fear love is the most powerful energy of them all so religions can be great but some of the things that they're preaching about and stuff like that is 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 you know i would encourage the listener to honestly do their own research about this because it can get pretty wild yeah and that's an issue i'm dealing with uh, one of my friends as well that um has departed he used to be i believe christian now he uh, is a hebrew that's a whole different discussion i guess if you really want to look at this from a very atomized format we're talking about a first century ad belief system people who presumably lived in the desert making speculative postulations on stars we're talking about people who knew nothing about oxygen dna genetics uh, i mean i think that if we're going to talk about a god or a higher power i think in a lot of ways it's one thing to assume that these narratives have some kind of morality that's inscribed in it that's one thing there's a lot of folklore that has a lot of narratives there's a lot of tv shows with a lot of narratives there's a lot of stories that have been passed on from centuries from people who obviously as we know when stories get passed on like doctrines or other forms of documents things become augmented if i write the cat went home and hopefully uh, i assume this letter is going to be passed on the next i don't know fifty thousand years i would hope by the 49,999th year it would still say the cat went home but the thing is it probably won't and like you mentioned some people do not know what their purpose is and maybe it's a way to avoid themselves from looking for it and i think that if they're going to do anything to help themselves feel better i don't think that we should one be killing each other two departing from each other because we have different concepts of in a great way we all don't understand why we're here you know we could basically discuss aliens we could discuss uh how the pyramids were made uh we could discuss this the dead sea scrolls but the thing is 99.9 percent .9 of us if not all of us have no clue what exactly we're supposed to do and maybe that's a way to kind of help as you would state mitigate that stress because if we did all wake up maybe not all of us let's just say if we all became more secular or atheistic maybe in my opinion things will be a bit more rational but then that will place a great deal of strain on the human mind and i think that given our primordial urges and dealing with sex and human civilization and our social ecology is very difficult especially since we didn't come from that particular uh, i guess mindful lineage on how we became so hopefully people who do believe in a god realizes that if you're going to use it in a very allegorical sense and use it to help you metaphorically feel better that's fine but do know 
that when you're facing reality, whatever that may be, if a bus is coming 100 miles per hour, if you're going to stand there and pray and hope God is going to remove you, you're going to get hit. And I think people should realize the difference between the two. But that's just like love. Love, in a sense, is something that's very unfalsifiable. We can discuss it and say that it's a feeling that's heavily indescribable. We don't have any research on what exactly, not so much its purpose or its motive, but what exactly is the true, genuine definition of it. And though we have a great deal of relativistic, I guess, ideologies of it, the thing is, it's still something we are creating. It's still a construct in our mind that I would assume animals, insects, fish, do not exhibit whatsoever. We can assume that if we see animals rub their chin against each other or perhaps lay on top of each other, we can assume that means they love each other. But we don't place that definition of love on them, do we? People Mm -hmm. are very constrained by limiting beliefs. And the first immediate action is to get defensive about your belief. Mm -hmm. And the thing about beliefs is it's kind of like on autopilot kind of like how we can't bite through our pinky or tickle ourselves we it's hard for us to change the way that we think about our belief but when we are challenged on our beliefs or we're able to talk about it and hear ourselves talk about it Mm. and you know being a coach is actually allowing being a client having a coach is allowing someone to actually challenge you. So being challenged allows you to see how those beliefs could be positively serving you or not serving you and gives you a chance to actually think about it when you're not on autopilot. Most of our day-to-day activities are just on autopilot. Mm. And we could go by for so long days and months on end just doing the same thing every day and so that's why it's really important to switch things up you know get lunch at a different spot go on a different route on your walk to talk to some new person you know try to do at least one new thing all the time so that you're not just living on straight autopilot um i agree I usually take walks every day alone, although I wish I had company. Uh, I do try to switch it up a little bit, walk a little further or a little longer or a little shorter or on a different route. So, but yeah, I do. You definitely got to kind of break up the monotony uh, rather, you know, quickly. We don't want to get, you know, caught in a very muddy, rolling stagnation. So I think in one of your videos, you touched on uh, holographic kinetics. Did you ever get into that? Well, <laughs> so there are tools mm-hmm. to help with our personal growth. I actually personally believe, mm-hmm. you know, that psychedelics could be a huge tool to help people grow. And same with holographic kinetics. I mean, I've done this a few times. I honestly don't have a word that sums up how incredible it is. Usually many don't (laughs) have a word for it. It's uh, for just to make it more clear for anyone who might not know, a holographic kinetic session is where you delve into your past life. So I have quite literally seen my past lives and felt it because when you see it, you feel it. And honestly, like before I had, I had these sessions, I think I was open-minded to the fact that there was past lives and I kind of had an understanding I was an old soul. But then after getting holographic kinetic sessions and quite literally going back into past lives, I... Now, when you mention past lives... I would say that oh, are you distinguishing between different types of past lives and then how would you suspect to know what type of century or year or eon or era or period you're discussing because if you think about past lives we're still talking about actual i suppose human experiences and if you don't have any idea what type of life that person or that particular spirit lived how do you know it's really past lives per se opposed to it being telling you that it's past lives how do you know that you're just not on a trip? Well, the process of the holographic kinetic is where the person who's conducting the session will literally say, go back four past lives, 13 past lives, etc. Um, as far as the time, they will say, one of the first questions is, what is around you? Where are you? And so, for example, in one of my sessions, I was in the ice age. It was completely ice around. And so certain things like that. And you're 100% 
sober. Well, at least you're supposed to be 100% sober during these sessions. So it's not like I am on any kind of drug. Why did you select the Ice Age? Oh, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I just literally saw and looked around me and saw a bunch of ice. And I no. knew that was the time frame. When you said you seen a bunch of ice, you know what ice looks like and you know what glaciers look like, you know what Antarctica looks like. So would it not be reasonably so to say that if you were standing around ice, couldn't you have been in Antarctica or in Alaska, perhaps? Um, well, I don't know exactly where I was geologically on the planet, mm-hmm. but... I can say confidently that when you are in a holographic kinetic session, the feelings that you feel and the visions that you see are very real and you can feel it. Obviously, I'm a little skeptical. Sure, maybe not for everyone. Then again, you know, I'm always going to probably tackle the more rationalistic approach. But some would say that, you know, uh, a great deal of spirituality isn't always about being heavily logical. I suppose if people apply themselves to it, maybe they can find some decent sensibilities when it comes to expressing how they feel about it. Sometimes when I do think about practices like that, again, we're humans. We're very fallible. Uh, We're very beguiling. We're very clever. We had eugenics at one point that dealt with, quote unquote, racial disparities and racial genetic disparities. We have Scientology discusses, you know, volcanoes and aliens. There's a lot of different ideologies that are supposed to aid the mentally ill. Um, and sometimes when you have all of these people bringing up all of these methodologies to help supposedly suppress our stress, I do think that why don't we just relax in a very small, acute way, meditate, and not necessarily place yourself in a lotus position with your knees bent or your legs, quote unquote, colloquially, you know, sat in a very Indian style way and have your fingers is uh, pointed outward and hum a mantra, but why not just focus on what actually is possibly stressing you out and probably try to focus on things to better yourself and not look for 25 different type of methodologies in doing so. Though Tylenol works for headache, ibuprofen works for a headache but then they have 50 other items as well how do you know which one to select from all you've got is a headache do you not take anything and hopefully eat something and maybe your headache goes away and let's say it does what are the other 50 items for then i'm not saying this is a bad or good thing and what you're doing these are just questions about what exactly are we doing well mm-hmm. when someone has wants to change their life they have to go through a big mental battle because it's really easy to be comfortable where you are mm-hmm. and to want to make a change in your life quite literally means, well, to step into the complete unknown because you're going to have to let go of new things. You're going to have to learn new things and it takes a big deal of courage. There are a lot of different things that we could do to help us along the way, but it really just comes down to whatever feels good to you. I think the most important thing to remember when you're going through any big step in your life is to have belief in yourself because belief in yourself and your mission and knowing your purpose is really what's going to keep you moving, keep going. If you don't believe in yourself, your product, your business, mm-hmm. chances are you're probably not going to get very far. You have to have that inner knowingness, that inner belief. Um, if you want to make a change in your life, and you're listening to this, then I say just do it. I mean, really do it. Give yourself no other option than to take a leap and jump in with two feet. That's what I did. And I really say that I don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a big learning experience. It's going to be hard as heck, but you can do it. And honestly, would you rather be, you know, like, Andre was saying in a psych ward kind of lifestyle or would you want to be in the kind of life that you know you tried I mean how do you want to be remembered when you pass away remember that life is short days go by fast um I think I I I was like confused because I look I asked like Siri like how many weeks are in a year and I was like, wait, what? Like, that's it? And it made sense. There's only four weeks in a month. And I'm like, what? And it's just like these days, these weeks, these months, they add up. What you're doing today and your everyday actions is what's going to build your life in the long term. If you're, if you're lazy about something, you're going to stay lazy about it. Nothing's going to change. You have to get up. You have to get up and want it bad. You have to do it now. If you want something, gotta do gotta do with urgency 
you know, if you had six months to do something, you'd get it done in six months. If you had a year to do it, you would give yourself a year to do it. It's really just a matter of what is your standard. Like if someone who is really fit decides that their standard is to have a really fit body, they're going to get themselves to work out and get that really nice body because that is their standard. They, they wouldn't miss it for anything. You know, if someone has a certain, let's say, limit to what they're not going to let their bank account go under, they're not going to let it go under that because that's their standard. Set a certain standard for yourself and what you want in your life and don't go under it. In fact, open your mind to more and more potential. Honestly, like human beings have so much more potential than we realize. I mean, yeah, we have potential in physical form too, but we can also manifest things in our life using the law of attraction and metaphysical energies that we can utilize to create the life that we want. So, you know, <laughs> I know that was kind of a little bit long, but if, if whoever you are, you can do it. And I really hope that you do because the earth, the planet deserves to, to know and experience what your gifts are. Indeed, that is the influence and inspiration of the lovely universe. We are definitely over an hour, which is a good thing. I didn't necessarily have a time limit, but I do try to keep it an hour. Uh, it is hard to edit these uh, podcast episodes, but hopefully one day I'll be able to extend it to three hours. But oof, I'll just spend about four years to edit that. <laughs> but other than that, I definitely appreciate uh, you becoming a guest on my show. Um, you know, hopefully in due time, people will really listen to this and try to understand that we both are trying to really advocate for not necessarily a, a dissimilar mind frame of being optimistic from do two different, I suppose, perspectives. But I do think the same vantage point of being rather influential in your own life is a good thing. Confidence is great. Um, people speak about ego as if it is bad, but one day I'll make a podcast about that. But ego is a lovely thing if you can utilize that and utilize that artillery in a very forthright attitude. Because sometimes when you do get out there, it's definitely not all about just handshakes and hugs. Is there anything else you want to say to people out there? Yeah, for my final message, I want to tell you to love yourself, give yourself compassion, find find something about yourself that you really, really enjoy and embrace it. Embrace the, the sides of yourself that you might not think are so pretty. Live every day with gratitude and purpose. Be your authentic self. There's nothing more important than being your authentic self. And I truly believe that the most important things in life are who you love and how deeply you love. So don't be afraid to get hurt because at least you did it. Don't live in a shell, please. Get out there and enjoy your life. If you want to listen to me talk more, you can check out my podcast, Dear Lovely Universe, on any of your favorite streaming platforms such as Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also visit my website at dearlovelyuniverse.com. You can find me at Dear Lovely Universe on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. My name is Kaylin Vu, and thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. Also, if you want to book a session with me, I am a life coach, and I'm going to have my life coaching website set up soon, but by the time this airs and you listen to it, it'll probably be up. So that's KaylinVu.com, K-A-E-L-I-N-V-U.com. With great insight, employs great conviction. Thank you, Kaylin. Thank